Hello and welcome to our fifth podcast in our series on COVID-19, The Resilient Response. Conversations with the Director and Founder of the Resilient Centre, Lynn Worsley. Now, while we're still a long way from the end of the pandemic and there are still new twists and turns almost daily, one constant thought I've had is a sense of anticipation about how much of our lives, our work and our world will change after it's all over, often for the better. Notwithstanding so much tragedy, there are ways in which this has all presented us with great opportunities for change. But here's the question being posed by Lynn in this Zoom conversation. Do we have the courage to move out of our bubbles with new values and a collective conscience? Lynn, welcome. Thanks for having me, Lee. Thanks for joining us again. So you put us, certainly at this stage, at what you call stage five. What's that mean? And I've got to ask this, we're not getting too far ahead of ourselves. So stage five is, as we've talked about in one of the first two podcasts in the series, is looking at how the curve has divided up into stages. And stage five is the last stage when we're starting to recover again. Yes. But just being mindful that we've flattened the curve so far, it could change. But at this point, with the curve being flattened, we've still gone through all the stages as we predicted. And, of course, in Australia, we've not had the horrible experiences of thousands of people losing their lives to the virus, but the process has taken its toll on each of us individually. certainly has. So what are the psychological characteristics of stage five? So we call the stage five the rebuild stage, where our task is to rebuild our lives, our livelihoods and our nation. But the psychological characteristic of this stage is exhaustion. Yeah, that's interesting. We're exhausted because we've run out of steam. We might not feel motivated to get started again. And to top it off, the continual message we get from the media and our government is that there's doom and gloom ahead of us. So it provokes a sense of helplessness. For example, we say, you know, why bother? Yeah. So all of these reactions make us want to go under that doona again. I know that feeling. Seems strange, though, to think of us being tired when it actually looks like we've done less during this time of isolation. So what's the explanation for us being tired? Well, most people have had to rethink the smallest daily task and make new systems that work. We've learned new technology, we've connected in different ways. Even for those who've lost their jobs, there's still a tiredness from the brain power they've had to use to invent their life during this time. That's interesting. So other psychological changes that accompany the exhaustion is associated with being more risk averse, and that can mean we don't want to reach out socially as we did before. We've also begun to be comfortable with our own houses and some people have actually redecorated. And in actual fact, they're saying that we've, so, we've spent a fair bit of money on redecoration. We've learned how to bake and our tummies are a bit fatter. And, and we want to sit and just enjoy the lifestyle that we've created. We've closed our security circle down a little bit. It's interesting, yeah. So the fear of going out and starting again in the zone of uncertainty, it's pretty tough. And that zone of uncertainty is outside of our own security bubble. I've really wanted to protect the space that I've Mm. rejoiced in. And uh, I feel just like that. So in order to maintain the bubble of security, or maybe protect that bubble of security, we're going to have to make some sacrifices. 
but they won't be sacrifices if we know that we're building a better world. So we have to look at what we value. So how do we establish that framework when you talk about valuing or values in the time ahead? Okay, so prior to the pandemic, we're on what you can be described as a runaway train. We had a lot going on with an increase in work, hours, um, social demands, um, materialistic lifestyle. We had high levels of consumerism, um, competition both in families and relationships as well as in the workplace. And we had governments making economic decisions rather than the value decisions. So in our psychology services alone, our dominant theme was teaching people to use mindfulness to slow them down, teaching them how to slow their breathing down, slowing down their thinking and learning to smell the roses to avoid panic attacks and heightened anxiety and and a loss of identity that's associated with going too fast. So during that time, slowing down was the only way to find our values. And so stopping is the first step. Yeah. And I reckon, certainly for me, the pandemic has been really helpful in slowing my life down. And I don't want to step on the fast track again. No. So during the pandemic, we have slowed down. We've stopped consumerism. Outings have been walks in the park with friends and family rather than visiting a shopping mall for entertainment. Our hobbies and our outdoor toys have been dusted off and we're using them more often. We see young people fishing, riding bikes, walking and talking at a much slower pace. And that means we've had the opportunity to make value decisions as who we'd spend our time with. And we are less inclined to reach out just because we think we should. Yeah, too right. So often finding the people we want to be with establishes the relationships that are most valuable to us. And that's another step to finding our values. You've been thinking about what this means for work. I've been thinking about this a lot and I'm talking to people at various levels of work and they're saying how much it's radically changed of course their work practices but that's going to change as well where can we find value in that in those kind of upheavals yeah and during the pandemic work's been in our slippers rather than our high heels (laughs) I'm doing this in my Uggs I promise you again and it means it means our work is more focused on the job, not on who we are within the job. Yes. There have been reports of higher productivity, not just because there's less travel, but also because we get on the job without the frills associated with it. Yeah. So our identity then, in that case, becomes less about what we do, but more to do with who we are in the process of our work. Can I ask you this, though, and you'd be acutely aware of this, that part of the frills, as you say, is the water cooler conversation and connecting with people relationally and in relationship. A lot of people in their kind of home work have missed that a great deal, and that's that's a costly thing for many people, not everyone, but for many. Yeah, and I think probably our work will become a lot more mechanical and efficient Mm. so we're going to have to find different ways of connecting and we may actually find that we connect with people that we value and our values become more dominant because we're looking for people we want to be with rather than the people we think we should yeah but there are other things that help us with our values that is related to how we interact in the future for example our global relationships 
our healthcare and our local communities are all going to be affected in the future. So talk to me about those global relationships. What do you mean there? How are they affecting our values, what we value here at home? Well, firstly, tourism is down and this affects us in so many ways. Not only does the tourist decline decrease the contamination of the virus, but it also decreases the cultural contamination. So, for example, when we have tourism as an industry, we showcase and we sell our way of life. The way we eat, the way we entertain, live, holiday, that all becomes a bit of a product to sell rather than our identity. Who we truly are. Yeah. So with the pandemic and the drop in tourism, we have to stop and we can just begin to be who we are. So instead of showing our cultures and the way of lives to visiting tourists, which changes our cultures eventually, Mm. we have the chance to go back to our roots. The French become French. The Italians become Italian. The Australians become Australian. Australia. So what does that mean for our values, Lynn? So we start to define ourselves according to our values, not just as a tourist destination. Yeah. It may mean that we become more accustomed to our own people and we reaffirm the value we hold in our own countries. So local holidays, local produce, support a nation just by buying and going places within our own country. Yeah. The valuing of us, of seeing us, It's likely to give rise to a responsibility for each other and a care of those who are marginalised in our society because we begin to see them. It triggers a collective conscience. So what do you mean by that? In an island in the Caribbean, I've been talking to some people who are in government there. And recently, they've talked about the level of social security that they have in their country and their welfare system, which is well established and quite extensive. But they've been tipped to have 70% unemployment rate. Wow. Now, what they're hoping to bring in is a collective conscience. They're calling it a collective investment. And that means instead of putting in social security benefits, they actually start thinking about how can we have it so people start doing things that they're skilled and they're valued in and that they're connecting well with the people that are closest to them, how can they do those things together to lean in and put something back into society? But how can they invest in each other? That's what we call a collective conscience. And that would open up barter systems, uh, community sharing, cooperatives. Uh, And when we have those local systems in our society, we're exposed to the moral values of each other. It may mean that we don't hold those moral values of each other, but it may mean that by being together, we gradually discover what we value. And as we see in tragedies like our bushfires and other kind of local and regional and even national crises, it brings out community that shines. And if they're they're talking about 70% unemployment, they're going to have to find another way. But uh, when communities are brought together and cooperate, it can be a great thing. So what's the take-home message for Stage 5? I can't bring myself to say I'm excited about what lies ahead because we're still in the midst of it, in the midst of so much tragedy. But there are real opportunities for change, I think. Okay, Stage 5 is going to be here for a long time. It's characterised by exhaustion. 
but what will help my tiredness, your tiredness, and the nation's tiredness if we move out of our zone of security as if we had some purpose? And if it's based on the values that we hold, we'll feel good about it. Mm. The values will be discovered and influenced by our interaction with other people. And the collective conscience I demonstrate will build a nation I'm proud to be part of. So let's hope that happens, Lee. I hope so. Lynn Worsley, you're at Gem. Thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. Talk soon. See you soon. And thank you for joining us. You've been listening to another Coronavirus, The Resilient Response podcast. I'm Lee Hatcher. You'll find our other podcasts in this series and so many great resources at the website www.theresiliencentre.com.au.